Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 551 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. And this week, I have a very special guest, which many longtime listeners will know and love. Are you ready to welcome her back? How are you, Al? Valerie, I am excited to be back. This is not a sort of fair to middling sort of a day. This is a good day. I mean, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to get, I wouldn't want to get, oh my God, it's I don't want too over the top. I don't want to shock. I know there'll be long time listeners out there who will be like, good, what is she all right? <laughs> anyway, well, I am I'm excited. excited too, because we're going to be talking about all the things that you've been up to lately, but also about your new novel. I know it is exciting. My ninth middle grade novel is with us. It's in the world and I could not be, well, I'm very excited about that. That is also a good day. (laughs) Oh my God. And you must, of course, update us on how Procrastipup is, who of course is your beautiful doggy. My beautiful Procrastipup, I was thinking about him this morning. We were on our morning walk and I was thinking what a joy it is because I get to walk with him every day and he was prancing along with his, you know, fluffy tail in the air. He's currently in the process of blowing his coat. I don't know if anybody knows what that means in Border Collie language, but what it really means is that they lose a whole layer of fluff and then grow another layer of fluff. And what this actually means is that you end up with another Border Collie's worth of fluff in your house. So we were walking along the river path this morning and I'm thinking what a glorious day it is to be alive and there's just bits of fluff you know flying off him in the sunlight as we walk and it was great but he's nine years old now he's had his had his ninth birthday and uh, he's holding together well. Everyone will be very happy to hear he's in extremely good health, no arthritis, still giving me that border collie stare of, Alison, you should be writing at all times, or if not writing, feeding me snacks. Um, could be either. Uh, but yeah, no, he's he's very, very, very good. Thank you very much for asking. I'll tell him you were asking after him, Val. He'll be wrapped. Awesome. Tell him that Rocky says hi. Rocky the oh, <laughs> I can wave paws at each other. <laughs> Now, we're going to come back very soon to the wonderful Alison, who, of course, is our interview this week. But first, what have you guys been up to? I've been busy working with the wonderful Pamela Freeman, who is author of more than 40 books, of course. I mean, that's insane, right? Pamela runs our Brilliant Focus on series, which is... There are a series of online sessions that are jam-packed with wonderful writing techniques that you can use immediately. Now, as the name suggests, each session focuses on a particular aspect of writing craft. And I know that a lot of you have actually signed up for every single one. Anyhow, the next one is focus on handling multiple points of view. And if you're interested in that, that is on Wednesday, the 9th of August from 7pm to 8.30pm. So an hour and a half, um, 7pm Sydney, Melbourne time. And look, this kind of thing is essential if you're planning or even just considering really to have more than one point of view in your novel. And you know, if you're wondering how it will work in terms of structure and storytelling, this is vital. Because juggling multiple points of view can be scary, you know, especially if this is your first time doing it. 
but multiple points of view also allow you to tell stories that you couldn't tell with just one point of view, right? Because you can tell them from the perspective of different characters. So focus on multiple points of view will help you understand how to choose your point of view characters, how many points of view are too many. Oh my God, I read a book the other day that was just ridiculous, the number of points of view. I was very, very confused and Um, it wasn't an enjoyable experience, Um, the effect on readers of multiple points of view, how best to use dual timelines because that's uh, quite popular these days, how a three-act structure works with multiple points of view, yeah? You know, do you need separate inciting incidents? Do you need separate climaxes and all that? Also, you'll learn about ways of creating distinct voices for each point of view. And whether you can have different tenses or, you know, first person point of view and third person point of view or or does it have to be all, you know, one type of point of view. So, yeah, there you go. If you're interested in focus on handling multiple points of view, go to writerscentercomau slash multiple. And again, that's on Wednesday, the 9th of August, 2023 at 7pm. Let's move on to our writing tip this week. Now, if you're feeling stuck in your manuscript or maybe a bit uninspired, I think a great thing to do is to look at your work in a completely new way. And I mean completely different. So for example, you could try painting or drawing a scene from your story or crocheting your character or cooking a meal for your protagonist. Like what would they eat? How would they behave in your home? I think that's a really good one. Or go shopping and maybe look at outfits for your characters or you can just do it on Pinterest if you can't be bothered going shopping like me. But make sure that you have your notebook with you if you do go out and go shopping or your phone where you can take photos and stuff and, um, you know, and it's some way to take notes or voice memos. Looking at your characters or scenes in a completely different way can help you get out of a creative rut. Plus, it's just fun. And if you're looking to stir up your creative energy, take a look also at our course, Dare to Dream, which is presented by the amazing Kate Forsyth. It's such a unique course and it's designed to help writers find joy and inspiration and empowerment in telling their story. We've had such great feedback on this course. So to find out more about that one, go to writercenter.com.au slash dream. That's writercenter.com.au slash dream. And now let's move on to our giveaway. I have three copies of My Mother the Spy by Cindy Dobbin and Frida Marnie Nichols. This week's giveaway takes us back in time. This true, true story of Mercia Masson, a spy during the Cold War, will stay with you. I'm giving away three copies of My Mother the Spy which, uh, as I said, by Cindy Dobbin, which is who is Mercia's daughter and Frida Marnie Nichols. Here's the blurb. The true story of an undercover ASIO agent who was hung out to dry in the Cold War. I've lost everything in coming here. I've lost my friends. I've probably lost my position. I shall probably have to remove my child from the school and my mother from the house in which she lives. I do not think there is anything else I can possibly lose. Mercia Masson dressed stylishly and loved to host a party. She was a journalist in an era where there were few female journalists. She always wanted to be in the thick of things and she knew people in very high places. She also led a dangerous double life. This is the remarkable story of an ASIO agent who was hung out to dry. She was exposed at a royal commission called to investigate the extent of Soviet espionage in Australia. 
following the defection of Vladimir and Evdokia Petrov. Written in association with Mercia's daughter Cindy, this story brings to life a determined woman at the centre of dramatic events in Australian politics during the Cold War. For your chance to win one of three copies, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. And uh, entries close on the 7th of August. So that's writercentre.com.au slash win. Just go to that URL and follow the prompts. It's very easy to enter and you could win one of three copies. All right. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because the word of the week this week is Novacool. Novacool, that's N-O-V-E-R-C-A-L. What does that mean? Well, interesting. It's an adjective of like or befitting, are you ready for this? A stepmother. So you could say Janice hated the Novacool stereotypes that would paint her as a wicked witch Could there be anything kinder than looking after someone else's children as her own? There you go. Novacool. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to write for children? Would you like to create characters and stories that kids will love? Our course in writing children's novels is the perfect way to start your journey towards becoming a children's author. This course focuses on writing for middle grade, that's 8 to 13 year olds. You'll discover how to find your voice, understand the market, take your characters and your readers on epic adventures, and create a blueprint for succeeding as a writer. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor, providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children. That's writercentre.com.au slash children. Today, I'm talking to Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and her latest novel is The First Summer of Callie McGee. Alison, of course, is also the internationally published best-selling author of middle grade adventure series, The Mapmaker Chronicles, The Adaban Cipher Novels, and The Maven and Reeve Mysteries. Alison, I am so thrilled to be talking to you today. Oh, your latest novel is The First Summer of Callie McGee. Correct. So this is a bit of a de- departure from your usual oeuvre, is it not? <laughs> oh, look at you go. Was that the word of the week, Val? Did you throw that in there just for me? You did, didn't you? Can um, you tell us first what it's about and then we'll talk about, you know, the departure. The depa- the great departure. Um, okay, so The First Summer of Callie McGee is a cosy contemporary, everybody, mystery story for readers aged 8 to 12. So it's about Callie, who's nearly 13 and desperate, as you are at nearly 13, to reinvent herself before she starts high school. Um, she's spending one last week of the summer holidays with the family friends, um, and we've all had that experience at that age of going on holidays with the family friends. And she finds herself investigating a series of break-ins in the holiday village of Sawyer's Point. So I'm kind of describing it as a middle grade mystery about growing up, figuring things out and solving the puzzle of who you are. It's a coming of age meets a detective story. So as you say, it is contemporary because your other novels have been set in sort of like a fantasy slash 
medieval slash That's correct. Yes. other world. That's so correct. what made you decide to write a contemporary novel? Okay, so it's interesting because I describe my books, like when you look at my website, I describe them as adventure, mystery, almost history. Like that's been my sort of tagline um, because, of course, my Mapmaker Chronicles, my Adaban Cipher and my Maven and Reeve Mysteries are all that sort of almost history, fantasy world um, sort of genre, adventure stories, I call them. Um, so this one is adventure and it's mystery, but it doesn't have that almost history angle to it. And I wanted to write, I, I started writing this idea. So Callie's been with me for quite a long time now. I found the first draft of this novel um, and it is dated in my, you know, archaic word processing system. It is dated about 2017. So that's how long I've had this idea in my head. Um, and it was inspired by a, an actual holiday house that I used to visit with my with my family with my boys belonged to some friends of ours and it's right on the sort of bay at Jaroa which is on the New South Wales south coast and there was something about that setting that I just loved and I wanted to set a story in that house and then it was a matter of okay what is this story going to be and I needed to wait a little while to find the right character because I realized that what I wanted to write was an old school detective story for kids, the kind of story that I loved reading when I was growing up. I've always loved, and you will see that in all of my work, like it is a thread that runs through everything. I love this idea of kids coming together to solve problems, to solve mysteries, to solve the secret of the book or, you know, who stole the fire star or whatever it may be. Um, but I knew that this time I wanted to put it in a place that was contemporary. So the, the village of Sawyer's Point is based on Jaroa. It's not Jaroa. Locals will recognise that I have dropped a surf club into Jaroa that does not exist. I have extended the beach from seven to nine mile. I've just moved things around as you do when you're a writer. Um, you sort of like, you take the world as you know it, the feelings about that world, the things that you love about it, and you sort of move it around and massage it um, to suit the story. So that's what I did. I, I just wanted to create that feeling I had when I was growing up of reading about these kids you know, roaming the streets of this village at night, trying to solve a mystery while I was tucked up in my bed, cozy as, knowing that I I was fine. Like I could push the boundaries a little bit with the risk, knowing that the reader knew that they were that they were going to be safe. So um yeah, it was all just about creating that gang of kids vibe that I loved so much um as as a kid growing up. And this time I've just taken my gang of kids and they're not, you know, rampaging around the world in ships and you know, <laughs> wearing cloaks and carrying swords and doing whatever they're doing. They are it's 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 a it's a contemporary setting, which I've got to tell you. Um, was actually harder for me than creating a whole world from scratch. I know, I know, I say that to people and they roll their eyes at me and go, are you serious? How? Because it's constraining. You have to work within the constraints and the restraints of what's possible. You have to work with technology without dating things too badly. You have to work with current language without dating things too badly. So it, it's actually quite challenging to really, um, for me, to make it work in the way that I wanted it to because I wanted the story still to be high action and I wanted it to be, you know, complicated because, you know, I do love a complicated plot, Valerie. Um, but this one is actually shorter as well. It's only around the 40,000 word mark, whereas, you know, my my fantasy adventures, you know, roll right out to about 65,000 words, which for readers, you know, in that sort of 10 
to 13, 14 age group, you know, is quite long. So um, there were some restraints for me and that was a challenge, yeah. So what came first? This is a bit of a chicken and egg thing. What came first? I mean, I'm, okay, I know that what came first was this idea of a place like Jaroa mm. um, that kind of sparked. The setting. The, the, yeah, yeah, it was about the place. Yeah, definitely. But then after that, did you think of the mystery first or the characters like Callie? Definitely and the Owen characters. And, yeah. It was the characters right. because what I what I also knew when I had the place and I knew that I wanted it to be this feeling of being in this holiday house. So the the holiday house that we used to stay in and, and it's quite recognisable in some ways to people who know it in this book um, is this sort of like two-story 1970s brick place, you know, lots of rooms like a, and, and bunk beds in all the rooms because it was a meeting place for groups. So, you know, we would go there with friends. And it always made me think about the kids in this situation because we would go because the adults loved each other. So we would all meet up and we would all go nuts, you know, we would have, to have our beers and our cheese and we'd just be, you know, listening to music that they probably didn't want to listen to. And we put together all of these kids vaguely relate, like vaguely close together in age, but not necessarily, you know, bang on. So there's this sort of tribe of kids who are all expected to get on because we get on. And Mm -hmm. that's quite a challenging environment for kids in some ways. And it's a very challenging environment. So I was thinking to myself, who's going to be most challenged by this environment? You're going to be most challenged by it if you are an only child and you're coming into this, you know, chaos of, of a group environment. Like, Growing up as one of four, I was the oldest. I was sort of used to that chaos all the time. But if, um, but even my own children, like there's the only the two boys, when we get together, even with our extended family group, they're sort of one of two, and they're coming up against you know the the group of the four kids and the group of the three kids and the group of that, and who are all used to that sort of chaos all the time. Um, and I wanted to really get that feeling of what it's like to be in that environment and to trying to find your place. So not only your place in the world at school, but even just in this house where you're supposed to be having fun. Um, because I always think you know the family friend holiday is not always as much fun as it's meant to be (laughs) for everybody. (laughs) So what did you think of when you created the character of Callie? Because what I notice is that you, uh, the reader immediately connects with her because, you know, there's all that uncertainty of a new school, um, friendships, um, you know, as you say, finding her way in the world. What were the elements that you thought needed to be in Callie? Well, Callie, Callie came to me. So Callie's probably, I think it's like anything when you're, con- when you're creating characters in that middle grade space, the, the best and easiest way to really get in touch with them. So, you know, there, there's a few different ways you can do it. You're obviously, um, I'm lucky in the sense that I've, I've had kids through that age group and all of their friends. So there's an observation aspect too. And, and obviously I'm visiting schools. So I do have that observation aspect. But the best way to get inside a character like that is to tap into your own sense of self at that age. And it's not an easy age for anyone. That's sort of like not quite 13, on your way to high school. There's a huge amount of uncertainty um and you know at the time that I was sort of like doing the final sort of drafts of this book before I submitted it to publishers etc my oldest son was finishing high school and it's it's starting high school and finishing high school 
there's a, there's a certain sort of um, mirror image of the uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen next. And so there's an awful lot of uncertainty and, you know, anxiety around how you're going to be perceived and who you're going to be. And there's all that sort of identity stuff. And I always say um, that one of the reasons I love writing for this age group so much is that they are um, on the cusp of the greatest adventure we go through, which is growing up. Like, I just honestly think that those years between um, probably 10 and 18, where you're really getting to grips with what you like and and what, you know, even and even how much are you willing to be yourself in a group? And it takes a long time to get to that point where you're comfortable to be yourself in a group. Um, and I have strong memories of that period of my life. Like, I think that's why I slot into that middle age, that middle grade sort of space um, so often. My, my characters naturally sort of tend to fall into that because that period in my life was one of the greatest periods of uncertainty um, that I remember from my childhood because I had moved states, I had moved schools, I was uh, quite a bit younger than my than my sort of peers going to high school. Um, I was a total and utter nerd, like unbelievable nerd, you know, the reader, all those things. I'd come to this high, to this new primary school in sort of grade five, grade six, and all the friendship groups had formed and I was outside them. So that sort of feeling of being an outsider and 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 wanting to kind of figure out how I could be better um, and different, like maybe if I was different, then I then things would go better for me sort of thing. Um, and I think I tapped into that with Callie because she's very much, she her actual name is Calliope Jean. And her first thing that she wants to do is change her name because she thinks if she's not Calliope Jean, if she can be CJ, who sounds cool and would have a ponytail and would be sporty, you know, if she can be CJ, then, you know, people will look at her differently. Like there's that sort of idea. Um, so this kind of final week of the summer holidays when she's with the family friends, she's making an attempt to change and reinvent herself. Um, her mother wants her to be Calliope Jean because it's a beautiful name. So she won't go as far as CJ. So she, she, plumps for Callie and if she can get them all to call her Callie then things will be different you know um but this sort of playing around with the names thing I've always loved um you know the idea of names I think about the names of my characters very very carefully and there is this idea of our name being our identity so if we change our name uh, or if we can get people to see us differently by giving us a cool nickname then you know maybe that makes us different you know, even though, as Callie discovers, you know, everywhere you go, there you are. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, and that's the other thing she discovers is that, you know, being Callie McGee is enough. You know, you are yes. enough. It doesn't matter. You don't have to pretend to be something else to be enough. And I think that's um, that's important as well. It's funny, I think that because um, you say that that was the period of your life where you were facing the most uncertainty and therefore, you know, you're exploring it through these characters mm. in your books. And for me, it's almost the other way around. That was also probably the period of my life where I experienced the most uncertainty and, you know, a lack of assurance and stuff like that. But I run a mile from it. I don't want to even think about it, right? But um, tell me, you, you mentioned that this started on your hard drive and you looked it up, it's 2000. 17. Yeah. What happened between 2017 and now? Well, I, I was writing fantasy novels. Like this was a side project, like very much just something that I was exploring. Um, again, it's like everything I ever do. It's like 
I'm just going to see if I can do this. So a lot of what I do is I'll just see if I can do this. And um, the first draft of this book was very much me just, you know, seeing if I could do this um, and what would it look like and how would it turn out? It's been redrafted several times since that 2017 um, novel. But it's important to remember too that like in 2017, the Adaban Cipher was coming out. Um, I had five, I think at that stage, five novels in that sort of fantasy adventure world. They were doing well. So the other thing that you find too, when you are, um, when that's sort of a great space to be in, but that's what people want from you as well. It's it's mm. like the same but different. Like we need more Al Tate, and and Al Tate is you know adventure mystery almost history. Um, so you know I I was also at the you know working on the Maven and Reeve mysteries, which I also love because they are very much you know the two handed detective stories, but they you can see that sort of that real interest in in creating a mystery and creating detective stories, it's just two different variations of that same thing. So what I think has happened around that time is me leaning much more into my first love, which is crime fiction. You know, it's what I read. It's what I've always loved. Um, when I look at the list of books I loved when I was growing up, you know, a lot of them are those sort of, you know, crime detective series, mystery series for kids. Um and so I think, you know, eventually you sort of always, you know, your true colours are always going to come out. And all of my novels have always had big mysteries in them. They just haven't necessarily been um, straightforward procedural detective stories, which this one, you know, more or less is, even though, you know, our detective is 12. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the mystery aspect of it because you start you started off with the setting, great. Mm. You, you've got your characters, great. What then did you, what thought processes did you have to go to, go through in order to determine how to unravel, I mean, un, unfold the mystery? Yeah, well, that again is an interesting process. So I, the break-in idea um, was there from the start because I knew that what I was writing was not going to be like a, a high stakes YA. Like I, I'm, I wasn't going to have murders. I wasn't going to have like there wasn't going to be. I have to think very hard about where it's going to spot, you know, sit in the market and. And I have to think about what's going to be too troubling and what's not going to be too troubling. So I had to think about something that could feel like it was, um, you know, real, but also something that a group of 12-year-olds could, you know, realistically solve without necessarily getting themselves into, into a mess. Um, I didn't really want to write a thriller, you know, with, you know, kidnapping and despair and I didn't want to do that I just as I said I wanted to write a cozy mystery I wanted it to feel like there was a problem but for me the, the problem is definitely there we have a break-in there's a whole range of suspects there's a possible ghost there's all sorts of stuff going on they're out sort of you know detecting in the middle of the night there's um, a scene that you know is quite um, threatening for for Callie but you know, I had to think very hard about how threatening I needed things to be. Um, this book is also being published by Scholastic. And so I had to think about the fact that, you know, um, as I said, it was redrafted a few times. I actually ended up taking a scene or toning down a scene that I had in the, the book that I submitted because Scholastic sells or distributes and markets a lot through book fairs and book fairs are kids picking books for themselves. So everything that's on that table has to kind of fit within the realms of something that a kid can take home and a parent is not going to pick up and go, oh, I can't believe, you know, that you've done this. So this one particular scene that I had, it's a beach party that Callie has to go and rescue her friend from. 
And, you know, if you've ever been to a beach party um, along the South Coast, you know, involving teenagers, because her friend is a little bit older, she's sort of 14, um, and the other children, or not children, the other teenagers involved in this situation are, you know, the oldest one is 17, they're driving, you know, cars make a big difference. So I had cars on the beach, I had bottles, I had a bonfire, I had to roll that back for this particular, you know, set of circumstances. So I had to find a way to make, to create the menace and the peer pressure that I wanted, because that was the key moment of that scene for me. Um, but do it in such a way that I didn't need those props to create mm. the menace for me. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it, you know, it was challenging from that perspective. And I could totally lost track of what the actual question was. So I hope that was, that adds. <laughs> <laughs> now that's really interesting. So let's move on to um, uh, talk about how you you are normally a pantser, and yes. for any new writers who have you know joined the writing world recently, people often talk about the fact that you're either a plotter, someone who plots out their stories before they write, or a pantser, fly by the seat of your pants. Um, so out, that basically means you don't actually know what's going to happen as you write. So has that, A, been the case for this novel, but also now that it's novel number what? what nine. What, novel number nine. Published has nine. Your, has your pro- process changed over nine books? Now, Valerie, in an ideal world, <laughs> I would say to you, well, yes, it has. And these days I plot intensively and I outline my books and they take me five minutes to write and there are no challenges in any of them. And that would be a total lie because it's the, I, I, it's the same. I have not changed. I have tried. I'm, I probably outline a little bit more than I used to in the sense that I will actually fill in character blanks. Not, when I say character blanks, um, so when you read this book, there's a scene where Callie uh, is looking at herself in the mirror and she is trying to decide if she can be CJ. So when I dra- first drafted the book, I started with that scene. That's where the book started. So now it's chapter two or I can't even remember now, but it's further in. Um, I started there and, you know, that for me, I guess, uh, is my way of writing my way into a character. So once I had done that scene, I then started to kind of like I made a few notes about her, where she'd come from, what she was all about. Um, And there's actually quite a large cast of people in this book um, for a, you know, for a relatively short book. And that, that was quite a deliberate choice as well, because I wanted I wanted the feeling of chaos. Like I wanted you to feel like you couldn't keep track of who was who and what was going on because there's all the dads are, you know, wrestling on the floor and the mums are doing this. And and I, I wanted that feeling and I needed that larger cast to have that feeling of of overwhelm of being with the family friends. So once I'd sort of got to those scenes where they were all starting to come in, I had to do a little bit of a plot as to who was who in the zoo and how old they were at least so I could keep track of some of those uh, minor characters um, but other than that no I just I wrote the story and I had you know figured out who the uh, who the who done it sort of by the time I'd got to the end of the first draft what I then found though was that I had to really amp the mystery up in this in the ensuing drafts I had to make sure that the mystery wasn't too easy to kind of uncover I had to make sure that there was you know at least um, it, you know one if not two 
you know, proper relevant suspects. So the layering of things for me is, is what happens in the second and third drafts. So when people say, you know, do you plan? No, I don't. But the first draft for me is almost like, me just like plotting the story out. This is this mm. is what's going to happen. Because um, you tend to underwrite as well, don't I you? I do. Yes, mm. I do. I underwrite. It's like what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. Um, and that's how I like to write because for me um, that sense of what's going to happen next is what, what gets me back to my computer to actually finish the story, me not knowing what the actual, you know, is going to happen next. And I I do also feel like you can feel that in the writing as well. I think readers can feel that sort of um, galloping plot uh, in the final result, even after it's been, you know, layered and drafted and cut up and, you know, moved around. Um, I think that sort of impetus remains. So when you are writing and you're not sure what's happening and things just unfold after your first draft, do you at any point go back and kind of go, okay, well, um, by my calculations, I've kind of done, um, here's my turning points, here's my climax, um, you know, I've hit the right notes at the right point or is it an instinctive thing for you? It is, it is very much an instinctive thing. It remains an instinctive thing. Like I, I remember, uh, I think we talked about this, you know, years ago in a podcast where I had read this book that had said that, you know, you had to have this point in the middle of your story where the reader, where the, sorry, where the main character looked at themselves and and had some kind of revelation or and thought process about what, where they were at and what was going on. I was like, oh, that's really, that's a bit weird. <laughs> so I went to whatever manuscript I was working on at the time and I went to the middle of the manuscript and I opened it up and sure enough, right mm. there at that point, there was a scene where my character was looking at their reflection in the water or, you know, some, you know, something like that and having that moment of where am I, what am I doing, where have I been, where am I going, you know. Um, so there is a certain amount of, I think, instinct involved in that. What I do do, though, and this is something I've learned from the editing process of, you know, having now published nine novels, um, when I do that first draft, I go through it uh, in the first, uh, so the first read through every single scene what happens in this scene? So it's just an, it's literally just like a running like schedule of this happens, this happens, this happens. Just like a happens. line. Just a line scene. for each scene. I do a word document, you know, chapter, you know, scene one, this happens, scene two, this happens because it allows me to see where nothing happens because, you know, it's, it's very easy to write scenes when you're figuring things out and trying to work out where things are. And, you know, you can devote an entire scene to creating a, you know, a setting um, without realising it. And, and all that's happened is that they've had one conversation about what happened last week. Nothing happens. So mm. it just allows me to see that. It also allows me to see where the story starts because, you know, as we've discussed mm. at length, I am notorious for not starting in the right place. Hence, I had to rewrite the beginning of this one um, because, you know, it's that it needs to be, you know, where the action begins. And mm. so I can see if I've spent three scenes setting up the backstory or I can, you know, whatever. Um, and it was actually Suzanne O'Sullivan, who was my editor at Achette for the Mapmaker Chronicles and the Outer Band Cipher series, 
um, who was also a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre, who taught me that. She was like, this is what you need to, this is what I do. Like, I was like, how do you work this structural edit stuff out? She's like, this is what I do. I write it down. And um, and that is, it's actually really, it's A, very confronting when you do it the first time and realise that you've got eight scenes in there where nothing happens. Um, but it's also incredibly useful for seeing what the where the key points of your story are. Yeah. So after nine novels, you clearly have a, you know, successful and established author career with longevity. And this is your thing. This is what you do. So what do you think are the key things that you, somebody who's at book one or even hasn't quite got book one yet needs to think about in order to get to book nine down the track? Well, I'm just going to say that um, even after nine published books, I think the key for any author career is persistence because just because you have one book published does not mean you're going to have two or three or four. Um, just because you write one great novel doesn't mean that the next novel that you do is just going to be accepted out of hand because it was you and you're amazing. It just doesn't work like that because, you know, it's about timing it's about um, what else is on the list. It's about, you know, how your last book did. Um, it's, you know, all of those different things. It's about what's happening at the publishing house. You know, are they having internal changes? Because if someone loves your work in a publishing house and then they leave, you've sort of got to like worm your way back in again and have someone else fall in love with your with your book. So it's it's kind of I, I do think the key is is that ability just to keep showing up. It's the ability to to take the feedback and go either, okay, if I rework this, it might work, or you know what, maybe this is not the right thing right now. I'm just going to put that aside and I'm going to work on something else because that's also the reality of the publishing market, which is, you know, getting smaller and smaller. So it's it's being able to do that, to take that feedback, to work with editors and to be able to say to them, like, um, when Scholastic said to me, look, we really need to, we're going to bring this, you know, age this down a little bit into that eight to 12 sweet spot rather than sort of 10 to 14, um, which means we need to take out the bottles and the cars and then whatever. You need to be able to go, um, yeah, okay, I can see why we're doing that. And this is how I'm going to do that. Not but every word I write is, you know, genius <laughs> art and I can't possibly change my story. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, you have to be practical, pragmatic, persistent, um, professional um, in all of your dealings with, with you know, people that you are, that you are dealing with all the time um, and you have to be writing all the time. Like I am always writing things. They don't all get published, but I'm always trying something else. I will have an idea about something and I will think, okay, I'm just going to see if that works. And so I will sit down and I will write it. And the things that grab me, like the things that, because I have a lot of ideas, the ideas are never the problem with me, um, but it's the thing that make that that entices me back and back and back and back and that I really grab hold of and go down the rabbit hole with, those are the ones I persist with. Some of them, you know, I'll write the first three chapters and then think, mm, you know, I'm not sure about this. But that's why putting things aside and maybe what is required there is a little extra piece of the puzzle that you haven't thought of yet, that you might be inspired by looking at an artwork or going for a walk or having a holiday, um, which is often what happens to me. Like I'll, I'll have this sort of like vague idea about I want to write a story about X, Y and Z but it's not right. Um, and then I'll see something and I'll think, ah, 
that's what's missing. That's what I need in my story. And I will go back and I'll have another look at it at that point. But yeah, it's consistently writing and it's writing always still for me. It's writing without knowing for sure that it's going to be published. So you have to do it because you love it, because you don't (laughs) know what else you would do. Like I am always threatening to go and become a horticulturalist. I'm still threatening that. I've been threatening that for 30 years. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I will say that my obsession with gardens is really creeping in to some of the newer works that I'm doing, some of the new projects I'm doing. so that it will always find the truth will always find you out and it, and all of those passions will always find their ways into your stories at some point but yeah I, it's all the p's you know pragmatic yeah. professional practical persistent one of the things that you've always podcast. said <laughs> one of the things that you've always said is when especially when you're stuck uh in terms of your writing is to go and do something mundane yeah absolutely what go are some of your go-to's else? My go-tos are walking with my my friend, my Pup friend. So I walk, I weed, I wash the dishes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say weed, weed. not we. That was. <laughs> you see how you just went to the gutter. You should be writing junior fiction, Valerie Koo. Honestly, <laughs> straight there. Toilet humor. Um, weed the garden. Um, gardening's great. Like getting out and sort of pruning and you know doing that sort of hard work. It's it's got to be something that you have to focus on but you don't have to, like, you've got to focus on so that you can sort of like your hands are busy, um, but that you can let that sort of creative section of your brain. And I always wave around the back of my head here somewhere when I talk about this, like somewhere in the back here, there's like a filing cabinet full of stuff um, that somehow only gets unlocked when I'm doing some boring, you know, mopping the floors or, you know, something like that. Um, But yeah, housework is is actually really quite good for it because it's Mm. so dull. Now, if you are new to this podcast, you may not know that Alison was the co-host of this podcast for uh, ages, was, long for time, years, a long for time, for seven years, and in of fact, years. she invented this next bit. And I'm going to turn the tables back on her to ask her what are your top three writing tips Good for Lord. people who want to. Um, you know, not not just writing tips because you've had seven years' worth of writing tips that you've shared with this audience, but coming back to the idea of longevity of an author career, what would right. be your top three actual practical actual practical strategies um, for people to do that? Okay, so I think that you can never underestimate the importance of making friends and, you know, people talk about networking and they talk about all of that sort of stuff, but relationships in your career are really, really important and they need to be the kinds of, and I'm, and I'm talking about all manner of relationships. I'm talking about professional relationships. I'm talking about personal relationships with other authors who will, you know, help lift you up when you are, you know, in a heap on the floor crying because your last book's been rejected again. Um, those people, um, professionals who, you know, you maintain good relationships with editors and publishers and, and agents and publicists, you never know where someone is going to turn up in this industry because it is very, very small. So it's really important that you are professional in everything you do um, and that you that you keep track of things. Like uh, I, um, I have a dear friend, Jacqueline Harvey, who is a children's author and she is 
the best in the business at this, um, apart from you, Valerie, you're the other one who's really great at this stuff. Um, but she, she is, has, I don't know, she's an extrovert. So she's quite different to me. Um, but she also has one of those brains that she will meet a bookseller. She will talk to a bookseller. She will create a connection with a bookseller. She will remember the bookseller's children's names when she sees them again, two years later, that kind of stuff is those sorts of personal relationships that you make with people are really, really important. So go to things, go to conferences, go to literary festivals, go to classes, you know, join in the, the So You Want to Be a Writer um, Facebook group, join the the sort of um, the various webinars and things that, that the Australian Writers' Centre does because you just never know who you're going to meet and you never know who you're going to connect with. So those relationships are really, really important, um, you know, for, from a longevity perspective. Um, I think the other thing that really helps is, and a lot of authors don't want to do this because they feel weird about it, but you absolutely have to create yourself some kind of a profile. You have to be able to... Um, people have to be able to find you. You need a website and you should be on some form of social media just again so that you can connect with people and so that readers can connect with you. You don't have to be weird about it. You just have to be there um, because it's important that you are able to continue conversations about your book beyond the day that the book comes out because the day that the book comes out, nothing is going to happen. It's the most anticlimactic date in the world, in the history of the world. Um, you know, it's going to go out to bookshops and you're going to be sitting at home thinking, oh, I wonder what's happening. That's where you need to be able to get online and create a little bit of noise about yourself. You need to be able to go um, organise to go and speak at your local library. So you are going to have to put yourself out there a bit and it's really worth learning some of those skills before your book comes out. It's worth getting yourself online um, and also start to get confident with actually presenting to people because it's really an important part of the job, going out, meeting people, being able to talk about your book, being able to give them the 30-second you know, elevator pitch, even though mine is probably still at about 90 because I haven't quite fine-tuned it yet. Um, you know, Those sorts of things are, are really important. So that would be the second one. Is that three? How many have I done? You did two. Oh, did I? Well, you tied in professionalism, but we'll. Yeah. Oh, but you're not <laughs> going to give me a pass on that. Um, and I think the third thing is probably just consistency. Um, and it's like I was talking about and that persistence. So consistency means not just, you know, creating books at a certain level you know, that are publishable, et cetera, but it means writing all the time. It means keeping track of the ideas that you might have, you know, however you may do that. Um, it means sort of always workshopping in your mind, even if it's just in your mind, you don't actually have to, a lot of the writing I do is, is, is all in my head before I sit down. Um, but just be consistently at least thinking about your writing, about the story that you're working on, about what the next story might be. And if you have an idea if you are, it, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're driving your car. I don't care what you're doing. Write it down in some way, shape or form. Do a voice memo. Tell your kid to type it into their phone. Whatever you need to do, you will not remember. <laughs> so make sure that you keep track of those ideas because you just, the thing with them is, that you might have a random idea here and a random idea there and a random idea somewhere else. And then suddenly you realize that those three things have come together and there's a character waving at you going, this is my story. So that consistency of writing, keeping track of your ideas 
and just showing up at your computer. Mm. And also write them down in full sentences because if you abbreviate, I sometimes <laughs> go back to my notes and go, what is eight to WTS? <laughs> I really have no idea. But on point two, which was showing up online, listeners, it I mean, Alison is a great example of this. So you can check out her website at alisontate.com. But also if you're wondering how to show up on social media, again, Alison is a is such a role model, is such a great example of how to show up um, on social media and connect with people and also show just enough about your life, but that to, to really convey yeah. the fact that you're a human, you've got a personality and that you, you know, you're, 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 you've got life beyond being an author, but reinforcing the fact that you are a writer. So go check her out on social media on um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. I'm on Twitter occasionally at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And I've just ventured onto threads because, you know, I just can't stay away from any party where I might be missing out. So you'll find me there at Alison Tate Writer as well. Um, but I would also say if you are interested in writing for kids, if you are writing for kids, um, I do have a Facebook community called Your Kids Next Read, yeah, uh, which is great, nearly 30,000 members. Uh, it is a fantastic spot to be if you are an author, not for self-promotion, because if you do that, I will bounce you, but for seeing what people are talking about, looking at the, the gaps in the market, like because uh, all sorts of people get in there, parents, carers, booksellers, teacher, librarians, you know, I need a book for a 12-year-old. I need a book for this. And, and you will get to see. And also, here's, here's my number one tip. If you're looking for comparison titles for a pitch, mm. <laughs> this is your spot because you just have to say, you know, I, I'm looking for a, a book about dragons, princesses, and aeroplanes, <laughs> and there will be five different titles there. And if there's not five different titles there straight away, you'll know you've found a niche. <laughs> But it's also a great community if you're not an author and you just want to know what your kids' next read should be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you're listening and you've got kids and you're like desperately wanting to keep them reading or turn them into readers, then it's for you as well. And we have a podcast um, and a substack. We are practically an industry these days. It's it's yeah. all happening. Because when I when my niece and nephew were younger, I mean they're grown up now, but when they were younger, it was the exact sort of place that I would have liked to have asked what kind of book can I exactly. get this boy, you know, yeah. that I it's just a great had to kind spot. of guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a fan. We get a lot of aunties and yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got a 10-year-old nephew who likes, you know, dinosaurs. What can I what can I get him for Christmas? <laughs> All right. Um, well, it's been such a pleasure to have you back. Oh, it's always I miss good to you. chat. I miss you too. It's, it's just like old times. Notice how we just I like reckon. slide into that routine. We're just like right there, aren't we? Bear to Midling. All right. How are you, Al? <laughs> Everyone, get yourself a copy of The First Summer of Callie McGee by the wonderful A.L. Tate, also known as Alison Tate. And thank you so much for your time today, Al. Thank you so much for having me, Val. I'm actually, I'm better than good. I'm great. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Alison. It's always fantastic to have her back for a visit. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I look forward to connecting with you on Facebook. Make sure you join the listener community on Facebook. 
Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. I'd love to see you in there. Some fantastic writers at all different levels from all walks of life sharing ideas and um, connecting as well. Feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm also over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.